Amen. Good morning. I'm going to start by reading from Psalm 94:19. I'm just going to read verse 19 for now, and we'll circle back later and talk more about the rest of the chapter. But in Psalm chapter 94, in uh, verse 19, in the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. There's a multitude of reasons for us to be anxious. And as we'll see a little bit of, there's a multitude of ways we can feel anxiety. And the promise of God, the promise of Scripture is that even in the midst of that, even in the face of that, uh, the comforts of God can bring delight and peace and freedom to our souls. I'm grateful that we serve, I'm grateful to serve alongside a, a pastor who is enough in tune with the struggles of his congregation, um, and he holds his congregation in such uh, love in his heart that he's willing to break from our typical, you know, uh, uh, verse by verse and chapter by chapter uh, to take the time to address uh, a pretty important issue. Anxiety can weigh heavy on the souls of those afflicted by it. And the thing about anxiety is that it's not subject to our willpower. We can't just overcome it by the strength of our wills. It's not subject to reason or rationale. You can't argue your way out of anxiety. You can't make sense of it because in its core, it makes no sense. Um, and it is not, uh, it's not subject to evidence. You can't point to enough evidence to give you a reason not to be anxious if it were that easy then no one would ever be anxious. Um, it takes hold of our thoughts. It holds them prisoner to a lie. And it's a lie that we recognize. It's a lie that we acknowledge as a lie. We know we're being lied to. Um, we know that it's untrue. Um, and yet we can still struggle to break free from it. Um, and while like Pastor Victor, who, by the way, let me go ahead and say, because some of you have already asked me, um, Pastor Victor's fine. Uh, he's, he's got a little bit of congestion today, I think was, was what it was. And so he's not, he's not here with us this morning. Um, I'm not like, like filling in at the last minute. This has been planned for a few weeks. Um, he's, I think, watching online, but he, he's so no, no anxieties for Pastor Victor this morning, please. Um, he's doing well. Um, and as he has said in, in, in the past, um, I, I, I feel the same way. I, I don't regularly struggle with chronic anxiety. Um, but that doesn't mean that, uh, that, that don't, don't let the enemy use that as, as a reason to delegitimize what, what Pastor Victor has said in previous weeks and what hopefully the Lord will, will, will speak to us from this morning. Because even though I haven't struggled with chronic anxiety, I have seen the effects of it. I have witnessed it tear down believer after believer and rob God's people of the peace and the joy that are promised to us in Christ. Anxiety will steal those things away. And 
I think all of us, maybe, maybe we don't have experience with chronic anxiety, but all of us have experienced situational anxiety at some point or another, right? Um, when, when my wife and I were sitting in the emergency room a few years ago, waiting to get the results of a brain scan, I was feeling some, both of us were feeling some anxiety in that moment. The first time I sent um, one of our daughters away to camp or to a youth function for a week without us, I was feeling some anxiety in those moments. Uh, as I was preparing to teach this sermon this morning about anxiety, I was beginning to feel a little bit of anxiety. But, uh, but the point I want to make is that not all anxiety is the same. Not everyone experiences it in the same way. Sometimes anxiety will spring from a situation like I was just describing, and as soon as that situation resolves, the majority of the anxiety resolves along with it. So we call it situational anxiety. Sometimes anxiety will, um, will spring from trauma or from loss. Um, maybe you've had or experienced abandonment in your life in the past, or sudden tragic loss of a relationship in your life. And because of that trauma, because of that loss, now all your other relationships, or at least most of them, are tainted by this anxiety. You're just not sure how long this will last. You're not sure if you can depend on this person. Um, and so you feel anxious. Um, and then there's, there's, uh, there's anxiety that comes from a place of caring for someone you know, you, you care about your children if you're a parent. You, you care about your spouse. And so sometimes when you think about everything that's out there in the world, you can be filled with anxiety for them. You don't want to see bad things happen to them. You don't want to see them get hurt. And then sometimes many people struggle with what we would call chronic or clinical anxiety. And this anxiety has no discernible rhyme or reason. There's no event there's no situation, there's no person that, uh, that the anxious person can readily point to as a source of their worry. They're just, sh they're not sure why they're anxious. They're, they just experience an overwhelming urge to panic or an overwhelming urge to retreat. And I'm sure there's all kinds of other reasons for anxiety. We don't have enough time on a Sunday morning to cover every different way and reason and expression of, of how anxiety takes hold. Um, and we can all experience it for different reasons and for different lengths of time. And while it may feel patronizing for, for you if you do struggle with it, to hear from <clears throat> myself or Pastor Victor um, that we don't regularly struggle with it, that we just have like, oh, you know, you, you hear me talk about anxiety that I feel, and maybe you're thinking, well, that's not what I feel at all. Like, um, that, would be, that would be another attempt from, that would be another scheme of the enemy to, to take captive truth from your ears and from your hearts and to hold it ransom. Just because I don't know, and just because Victor doesn't know what it feels like to struggle with recurring anxiety does not mean that we don't know, it doesn't mean that any of us, that we don't know what it feels like to struggle with a lie that we know to be a lie um, and that we know it's untrue, we know it's destructive, and yet we still struggle to resist it anyway. In actuality, my guess is all of us know a little bit, or a lot of it, about what that feels like. Some of us might struggle with, um, with unforgiveness. 
right? Some of us, and, and, and I'm starting with this one because this is me. Some, some of us, if you're like me, you know how to hold a grudge. And, and I know how to hold a grudge. And I know what the Bible says about holding the grudge. I know how the Bible says that we are to forgive as we have been forgiven. I know how Jesus says, Jesus says in Matthew that if you don't forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. I know how Jesus tells Peter, when Peter asks, how many times do we have to forgive? How many times do I have to deal with this? <clears throat> and Jesus says, 70 times seven. In other words, you forgive to completion. You offer the complete expression of forgiveness. There's never a time when, you, when, when forgiveness has met its quota. Okay, I know what the Bible says about forgiveness, and yet I can feel the, 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 the urge welling up within my flesh so often to hold a grudge anyway. Sometimes just knowing what the Bible says and believing it and acknowledging it and affirming it doesn't make the struggle any easier. Our flesh wages relentless war against God's truth, whether it's unforgiveness, whether it's lust, whether it's covetousness and the inability to be content, whether it's pride or addictions. I remember having a conversation with... <clears throat> With, uh, with someone years ago who was, who was struggling with addiction. He was trying to stay clean. I remember asking him, what's that like? And he said, you know, you spend your whole life trying to recapture the, the high, the experience of the first time you ever got high, and it's never the same. And you know it's never going to be the same, but you pursue it anyway because you're still hoping to, to recapture that feeling. And I can't, I can't imagine a more a more depressing thought, right, of knowing what is true and, and your flesh waging such intense war against that truth that it drags your actions and your mentality along with it into this downward cycle. So just because maybe you're here and you don't struggle with chronic anxiety, we all know what it is to struggle. And I don't say that to, to diminish if you are here and anxiety is that, that struggle for you, I don't say that to diminish your struggle, to say, oh, you're just like everyone else. Um, I say that hopefully to offer you comfort and encouragement so that you know you're not alone. So you can know that you're not going through it alone, that just because other people's struggle looks differently, looks different, um, we all do struggle. Um, and if you struggle with anxiety, I may not know what it feels like to be you. I may not know, um, but we all know someone who does. Um, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Let's just pause there. You do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with you. Sometimes here's, here's part of the lie. Here's Here's, this is what the enemy drives into your mind. Lord, I know what the word says about anxiety. I know you say that you're going to take care of me. I know you say you're going to clothe me like the lilies of the field and all this stuff. Um, but but you, you, you don't know what it feels like to be me, Lord. You don't know what I'm going through. How, I know what your word says, but this is different. What I'm going through is different. You don't know what it feels like to be me. And the promise of Scripture is that we, in fact, have a high priest who can sympathize 
with every struggle we go through. Why? Because he was, it says, so if, we, if, you, if you believe your Bible, you take your Bible literally, it says, he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. It means Jesus knows what it means to be tempted by anxiety. And it's weird to think about anxiety as a temptation, and I don't know that that's always going to be the case, but anxiety will tempt you to lose faith in God. It will throw lies at you that say you cannot trust that God's promises are going to happen. You cannot trust that the world is not going to close in on you. You cannot trust that everything will be okay in the end, even though God has said that. Anxiety will tempt you to believe lies that go contrary to what God has said. And, and I love that, 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 again, if we believe our scriptures to be what we think they are, or what we say they are, that means Jesus struggled with it too. He was tempted in all points just as we are. And I can't imagine a more uh, surreal and, and vivid depiction of what anxiety can look like than Jesus praying in the garden the night before he's crucified. I've felt struggle before. And like I said, I, I know what it is to feel anxious. I don't know what it is to be so anxious. And maybe we, maybe we, we chafe a little bit at that thought, but just bear with me for a little bit. I don't know what it feels like to be so anxious that I'm sweating drops of blood. I don't know what it feels like to be, to be in, in, in such turmoil over what's to happen that I spend literal hours in prayer. You see, sometimes we say, yes, I've tried praying. Um, yes, I've given it to the Lord over and over again. Okay, in the, in, in the most difficult time of his earthly life, when he is in absolute turmoil over what's to come, um, he doesn't just pray to the Father once. He doesn't just pray to the Father for an hour. He spends hours on his knees um, seeking, the, seeking the Lord. And he doesn't stop until he can, he can fully and truly and, 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 and rightly say, not my will, but yours be done, until he has come to a place of full submission and trust to the Father's will. That's when he gets up and gets ready to go. And sometimes we do pray about these things, um, and, I, you know, I'm not, this isn't meant to be another layer of guilt. I'm not trying to, like, lay more things for you to do, okay? Because it's not about what you do. It's about how close we are to the Father. I love how Pastor Victor, two weeks ago, in the opening sermon on anxiety, he emphasized the love of the Father. And we hear that so much. We, we, we read about it so much. And we're like, yeah, I get it. God loves me. Yes, we're all God's children. Yes, all these things. But, but the safety and the comfort and the shelter of being in the Father's love, of 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 being saturated in that, it is, it's incredibly difficult to be saturated in the presence and the love of your heavenly Father and still be a slave to anything, including anxiety. It's really difficult. I'm not saying that, 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 that that's not a struggle. I'm not saying it's as easy as that. But when you are truly saturated in God's presence, Scripture tells us in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear. Um, and sometimes we lose sight of perfect love. It's always there. We know it's there. But the lies the enemy throws at us and shoots at us distract us away from it until, to the point where we don't see it anymore. And when our focus is off of the love of Christ, our focus becomes on anything else in this world, then we have every reason to be anxious. 
There's plenty of reason to be filled with anxiety if our focus is on anything other than our Father in heaven. So um, we can also take comfort in the truth that God does not hold our struggles over us in judgment. He's not up there with his arms folded like, oh my gosh, you're struggling with this again. How many times do we got? How many times do I got to read for my promises to you? No, that's not the heart of our Father. I love what it says in Psalms 103, 13 through 14. Um, it says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. And, and in the Old Testament, in, in that, that Hebrew, the word pity doesn't, it's not like, like this patronizing kind of pity that we have today. It means to be filled with compassion. And it says, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. God's like, I know, I know, I know it's hard. I know you don't have my perspective. I know you don't see infinite time stretched out. I know you don't see with your eyes the fulfillment of the promises that I see because I'm outside of time. I know that you're just human. He doesn't say that to us again in like a, oh, you're just a human, but in an endearing way. He understands our frame. He understands our makeup. He's the one that made us. Um, and so he knows that we're going to struggle. So when we do struggle, it doesn't take him by surprise. He's not disappointed. To say that God's ever disappointed would mean that he expects something that didn't happen. And can God expect something that doesn't happen? You can answer. No. Because um, that would mean he's not omniscient. We believe God's omniscient, all-knowing. Yes. If God's all-knowing, he knows everything that's going to happen. That means he's not going to expect something that will not happen. That means he cannot be disappointed when we act as humans act. Now, that doesn't give us an excuse. It doesn't mean, oh, we can do whatever we want to. God still calls upon us to, to reach for holiness, to live in the reality of Jesus in us, um, but it is with love, with compassion. And then in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he reminds us that, again, we're not going to experience any kind of struggle or temptation that is brand new, that is unique to us, that God's never had to deal with before. He says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. And then that, that promise sometimes feels so untrue. One of, one of the most potent lies of the enemy is that this promise is, a, is, this promise is, 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 is not true. Because he says, you're never going to be tempted beyond what you are able. And sometimes I feel like, Lord, I am not able. And the reality is I'm not. We've got to read the rest of the verse. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God is never going to allow us to walk through a valley and say, you're on your own, good luck, <laughs> Um, when he does allow us to walk through a valley, he will be there with us. And when his timing is right, he will show us the way up and out of it. Um, so this morning, I'd like for us to remember that we're not alone, uh, regardless of what your struggle is. Um, we know what Scripture says about anxiety. Pastor Victor's done a great job of bringing out some of the core Scriptures about anxiety in the past two weeks. Um, and having established those foundations, uh, this morning, I think sometimes it just helps to remember um, that we're not alone. It just helps to remember, that, to remember that others have struggled with anxiety. Other people who wrote scripture, who wrote 
parts of Scripture have struggled. And so to do so, we're going to read through, um, I have four different psalm passages. So we're going to be in the psalms. Um, we're going to look at four different psalms. Um, David didn't write all these. He wrote at least one of them, maybe two of them. But we're going to see how people like David um, uh, struggled regularly with anxious thoughts. You can't read the Psalms without seeing God's people struggle with anxiety and with depression and with fear and with all these things, okay? And maybe um, prayerfully, my, my prayer is that we can draw strength and hope from their experience and the victory that God brought about through them in spite of their anxiety and, and hopefully apply that to our lives as well. And if you're here this morning, and, and, and again, uh, chronic anxiety is not your struggle, I guarantee you, you know someone for whom it is. And maybe for you this morning, this is more of, of an empowering you to help others. If you're here and you're like, well, this sermon doesn't apply to me, I don't struggle with anxiety. Um, there's someone in your life who does. And, and, it, and you know what, it doesn't do a whole lot of good <laughs> for us to to come alongside people who struggle with anxiety or with anything and say, here's what the Bible says, now just stop doing it, right? Think about your struggle, whatever it is. How would you feel if the overarching message is the Bible says it's wrong, now stop doing it? Oh, if it's that easy, right? But we all know it goes deeper than that. We all know that it's an ongoing thing. It's a regular need for support and for the presence of the Father. So if, you, if, you, if it's not you, then think about someone in your life for whom it may be and, and, and pray that the Lord would use this time to empower you to be a witness to them, to love on them, to encourage them and support them however he would have you do so. So uh, we're gonna go back to Psalm 94, 19. And I wanted to start with this Psalm because I feel like it sets a good precedent uh, for us to move forward from, is not meant to, to, to be like, like, like a quick solution. And if you just look at verse 19 that I read at the beginning, it might seem like um, the psalmist is saying, I'm super anxious, but God's my comfort, and it's all over, right? Um, it's not, if we take just that one verse and lift it out of context, it makes the whole struggle seem super easy. But there's a whole chapter of struggle surrounding verse 19 that I want us to also uh, look at. And a lot of the psalms are like that, especially the ones that we're going to look at today. Um, the Psalms of Lament will often front load the cares and the worries and the anxieties of the author. Very often it's David. Um, and sometimes David or whoever the author is, they will ask God difficult questions. They'll be like, God, why have you turned your face from me? God, why do you let the wicked prosper? God, why, why, why? And, and they're not asking um, things about God that they know to be untrue any more than we do, but they are expressing their feelings to God. I don't think David really believed that, that God um, would abandon him or let the wicked prosper or any of those things, but in those moments, that's how he felt. And so I love how the Psalms give us permission to feel, and they remind us that God is a big God and he is okay with us expressing to him how we feel. Even when we know, like, I, I, we're, we're going to read some of these things, and, and, and we're gonna, we know that's not true. We know that's not true about God, and God's okay with us still feeling that way sometimes. So that's, okay. So, um, look at verses, well, let, let me read verse 19 again. 94, 19. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, your comforts delight my soul. 
if we were to, um, to back up to verses three through seven, this is the same context of what, what we just read. He says, Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? They utter speech and speak insolent things. All the workers of iniquity boast in themselves. They break in pieces your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. And so the psalmist here, he's anxious because the, the, the wicked seem to be prospering. He sees injustice everywhere. He perceives threat to himself. And God seems to be silent when calamity falls on his people. And surely many of us can relate. How often do we turn on the news or scroll through our social media and you're like, oh, look at everything that's happening in the world. Lord, where are you? Lord, why aren't you, con- why aren't you in control? Why aren't you doing something about this? We can be filled with, with anxiety when we look at what's, what's happening and, and the seeming prosperity of the wicked. Um, and, and, and sometimes we don't even need to have a reason to feel that way. Anxiety just, just attacks and begins filling our minds with intrusive thoughts, whether they're based on reality or not. But then right after making his anxieties known to the Lord, the psalmist kind of switches tones from what he's feeling to what he knows to be true. So in verses 3 through 7, he's like, here's how I feel. Lord, here's what I see. It doesn't make sense. Lord, where are you? Are you allowing all this to happen? Then verse 9. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? God is aware, he's saying. Surely God is aware. He's not oblivious. He's not ignorant. He's not taking a break. He who instructs the nations, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man that they are futile. And so he's reaffirming that God is not ignorant or oblivious. And he begins to remind himself of the difference between what he perceives and what God has promised. That's important. This is, this is a, a spiritual discipline to understand the difference between here's how I feel in my, in my deceptive heart. The Bible says the heart is, is deceptive above, above all things. Here's how I feel in my heart. And it's okay to express that to God. But here's the truth of God's word. And that's what the psalmist is doing. Um, he perceives initially, he, he, he feels abandoned from God but then he says, but God, but God has promised that he would not cast off his people. He feels like the wicked person ultimately wins in the end, but God promises to judge in favor of the righteous. And we shouldn't imagine that as the psalmist goes through this process, that he does it one time and then it's all better. We don't think that he wrote this and he's like, oh, there's the answer. I can log that away and go on with life and never worry about it again. No, the reason why he writes it as a psalm, the reason why it's written in poetic form and why it's made into a hymn is because hymns are meant to be repeated and repeated often, and they're written in such a way as to drive them into our memory so that when we come upon that struggle again, they're easier to recall. Um, These are written down as psalms and hymns so that God's people can repeat them over and over and over again. Um, Let me give you an example of this. When I first... When, so when, when I was a teenager and, and I first felt a call into ministry, I was filled with anxiety, okay? Um, I was insecure. In some ways, I still am. Uh, I didn't speak very eloquently. 
Uh, I've told some of you before, if you've ever, ever heard any part of my testimony, you know that growing up, I, I, I had a speech impediment, and I would stutter, like, nonstop. I couldn't get through anything. Um, in sixth grade, I had to go to speech therapy uh, just to learn to get words out. Um, and, uh, and whenever I was called upon or expected to read aloud or to speak aloud, my hands would get cold and clammy. I'd break out into a cold sweat, and I, was, I would become filled with anxiety. Okay, so this is me as, as, as a teenager. And then at about you know, 15 or 16, I feel like God begins to say, Jonathan, I want you to go into ministry. And my first reaction is, but Lord, if I go into ministry, that means I have to speak in front of people. <laughs> and we all know what happens when I speak in front of people. And, and, and it, just, it was just this wrestling uh, with the Lord. And in that season of wrestling, God gave me this scripture 2 Timothy 1.7, it's one that I'm sure a lot of you know, um, but there was so much power in this passage uh, for that season of my life to overcome anxiety. God has not given us a spirit of fear, some translations say timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. I did not read that verse just one time and all of a sudden all the anxieties went away. I didn't read it just twice or three times, or a few times, I had to read and reread and, and pray through the truth of that verse countless times. Because every time I would feel the anxiety welling up within me, the Lord would, would, by his grace, bring me back to that, and I would pray through it, and I would say, I'd pray, Lord, I know this fear is not from you. I feel it, and it's real, but I know it's not from you, because you have promised that you didn't give that to me. What you did give me was Power, not, not in like me, but, but the power to do your will, love for others, and a sound mind. I can think through this by your grace and by your spirit and reject the lie. Again, that was a process that was over and over and over and over again. Okay? Um, we don't defeat anxiety just by knowing truth one time and moving on. Um, the Lord lays it upon our hearts to meditate upon his word. Don't just read it and study it. Meditate on it. Let it percolate in your thoughts. Read it over and over again. Memorize it. Commit it into the core of who you are. Pray through scripture. That's what it means to meditate on it. Um, and so, uh, you know, the Lord, <laughs> by his grace, continued to lead me through that. And, and uh, you know, um, I still have to do that very often. Um, but, uh, but it takes committing it to, you know, when you're identifying the lies of our feelings and committing to the truth of God's word, it takes repetition. Um, and in verse 16, it says, who will rise up for me against the evildoers? Who will stand up for me against the workers of iniquity? And we could rightly replace the word evildoers with anxieties, and the truth of the passage would remain. Who will rise up for me against the anxieties? Okay, uh, and make no mistake, anxiety is our enemy. As I've said over and over again, it is one of the most effective weapons that our spiritual enemy wields against us. All too often, we allow anxiety and, and the lie to, to think that it's, it's, it's a human struggle or it's a worldly struggle. Um, and we forget that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual forces of darkness. Um, 
And so we can, we can rightly take scripture when it says that, you know, when it talks about our enemy, anxiety is and can be our enemy. The uncommon feelings of anxiety should raise our alarms, it should raise our defenses, because spiritual warfare is coming. In fact, the Hebrew word for anxieties here, it literally means disquieting thoughts or thoughts that rob you of your peace. Right? Where there's no peace, there's bound to be conflict and anxiety. Let's go over to Psalm chapter 22. The title of this psalm, it says in, in, in your heading, some of your Bibles will say, to the chief musician set to the deer of the dawn, a psalm of David. How many of you know the, the song, the deer of the dawn? You remember that, that little classic, oldie, classic rock, deer of the dawn? No? Okay. Well, uh, you've maybe never heard the song, The Deer at Dawn, but you do know these lyrics. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And then the night season and am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. As, as I read through this, I, I want you to, to, to pay attention and notice, this is a Psalm of David, notice the back and forth. Notice how David says, here's how I'm feeling, and he comes back with a statement of truth. Notice how he's wrestling with, with how to, to navigate that dichotomy. As we read through this passage, remember, remember that this is the Psalm that Jesus quoted in his last moments in this life um, to describe how he felt on the cross. A lot of these words should be very familiar to us. But you are holy and enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. So David starts by saying, God, you're so far from me. I feel like you've abandoned me. Lord, why don't you hear my groanings and my cries? And then he reminds himself, but God has been trustworthy in the past. He's been there for our fathers and our four. He, he listened to them. Um, and then in verse 6, he goes back to, but I am a worm and, and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So again, it's kind of like, ah, oh, but, but people are making fun of me. Not just making fun of me, but the, my, my reproach and my shame seems public. And then he goes back to truth. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. And so he's describing his adversaries, his enemies are, are circling him. They're ready to pounce upon him. And again, maybe, hopefully, we don't attribute that to human enemies. Maybe you do. But, but whatever you attribute that to, we sometimes can feel like, man, the enemy is just, he's just ready to pounce and devour me. Um, verse 14, I am poured out like water. Listen to these words. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, 
and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And so um, when you look through these words, and you remember who David was. Remember how God described David as a man after his own heart, a man that God uh, made a profound covenant with that from David's line, that, that, that God was so um, uh, attached to David that, that he, brought, he promised to bring the messianic line through, through David's lineage, okay? But here's a man that, um, that walks with the Lord closely, and he's writing these words to be preserved and presented in public. We know David doesn't believe in his mind the majority of this, if any of this. We know he's struggling. We know, but, but again, the beauty and the glory of God is he's, he's, he's not only allowing David to express this, but God has chosen to preserve these words for millennia for his people to read over and over again as a reminder that he's okay with us expressing it too. Yeah? And then uh, in verse 21 the entire chapter turns. It's really this real like dark and like depressing and like there's no hope. And then in verse 21, the whole, the whole focus and trajectory of the chapter turns with a simple realization, a simple acknowledgement. He says, save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. And that line is set off to it, um, is set off on its own. And then for the rest of the chapter, he is rededicating himself to declaring the glory of the Lord, to making known God's faithfulness, past and present and yet to come. And David experiences comfort and renewed joy in the Lord. And I realize it's not always, again, it's not like we can't imagine this happening in real time, like, like David's praying and praying and praying, and then, oh, God answered me. Now everything's better. <laughs> uh, it doesn't happen like that in real time, but it does give us the expression. It does give us this framework of understanding um, how we engage in spiritual warfare against things like anxiety. We can be sure that when we meditate on the Lord and repeat his promises to ourselves, when we meditate on his past faithfulness, on the truth of his word, we will eventually find comfort and peace. And maybe anxiety is always humming in the background of our minds. Maybe it's always there playing its deceptive tune, trying to distract us, trying to draw us back into that trap. But if on the forefront of our thoughts, we are focused on the Lord, we are focused not just on like theological truth, but on intimacy and closeness and, and, and the presence of our Father with us, it will drown out the noise of that anxiety and allow us to function and move forward. Another Psalm, Psalm 42, verses 5 through 11. <clears throat> Why are you cast down, O my soul? This, this verse begins with the psalmist, and this probably is not David. We're not sure who wrote this one, but this verse begins with the psalmist questioning his own soul, and he goes through this internal struggle. He feels disquieted in his thoughts, um, and he's not sure why he feels the way he does. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help, for the help of his countenance. Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. So, I mean, you can hear the struggle. He's saying, I don't understand why I'm even, why do I feel this way? I, I know to hope in God. I will hope in God. 
And then when he goes to God, he says, but God, I'm, I still feel cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from the heights of, of Hermon, from the hill Mizar, deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. So he's reflecting on the Lord. He's reflecting on, um, on longing for his presence. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? It's interesting. He says, why am I mourning about this? Why am I so distraught? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? And that is one of the, again, I'm, I'm not accidentally emphasizing the attacks of the enemy because I firmly believe anxiety is an attack of the enemy. And one of his, his lies is, where is your God? God doesn't care. He's not here with you now. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And so there's this back and forth. Why am I? Why am I? Why am I? Um, now, we started in verse 5 on purpose, because when we back up to verses 1 through 4, we can see more clearly why his soul is so downcast and disquieted. He says, as a deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with a multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. And so to me, it seems like the primary reason why his soul is so downcast is because he, he realizes and he acknowledges that the, 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 that the innermost longing of his soul is for the presence of God. God has designed us that way, that, that in our core, in, 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 in our, 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 most, our most intimate makeup, we long for the presence of God. And when we are separated from that presence, when we begin to, to focus that longing on other things, on anything other than the presence of God, we can be sure anxiety will follow. And so... The psalmist here, he is struggling because, because he's taking his focus off of the Lord. He's saying, why? Why do I have this longing in me? Oh, because I'm longing for the presence of my Lord. I'm longing to be back in fellowship with him, back in a place of worship with him. Um, a couple years ago, our younger daughter uh, went through a really difficult season um, and I don't know how else to describe it other than a season of anxiety, even for as young as she was. And you guys know we, we, we had just moved back. You know, we were in transition. We were hopping around. There was so much happening that year. And, and, and Allie normally isn't this way. Like she's, she's normally very independent. She's very headstrong. She's just like, you know, she kind of knows who she is. Um, but there was, really, there was this really just, just kind of surprising out of nowhere season where all of a sudden... Um, now, like most kids go through this, most kids go through a time where it's like, I, you know, um, you know, mom and dad don't don't leave my room, or if you can can you leave the 
the door open so I can see your bedroom. You know, like, like most kids have a little bit of like separation anxiety, but she was kind of beyond that point. You know, she was, um, it, it wasn't normal for her, but she went through this phase where, where she could not fall asleep unless, unless she was in the presence of either Maria or myself. And it wasn't the typical, again, again, I know if you're a parent, you're like, well, all kids go through that. And you're right, all kids go through, but this was different. We've had two kids, okay? This one was different because it wasn't just the typical crying and the typical, like, it was, it was this, 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 uh, this desperation. And, and, and we tried everything. We're like, okay, Allie, if you don't go to sleep, then you can't play Minecraft. And that was a big deal, okay, the next day. Um, and she's like, ah, I still can't, you know. And, and, and so she would, she, would, she would just beg if she could, like, sleep in the room with us. And we're like, what, what is this? This, is, this, is not, this isn't you, you know. Um, and, uh, um, and she was longing for the presence of her mother and her father. And that was the only thing, for whatever reason, during that short season, that was the only thing that would bring her rest and comfort. And it wasn't like, like just a rebellious, stubborn thing. She was like legitimately just struggling with something, and the only thing that gave her rest, and, and for her, it didn't matter what she had to sacrifice. She sacrificed playing Minecraft. She, she, she got grounded. We didn't, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, we're just, um, uh, she sacrificed so much, and, and as soon as we allowed her to sleep on the floor in our room, she was fast asleep. Um, maybe not fast asleep, but it was easier. Um, and, and, and that season came and went. We're very grateful that that's no longer the case. It lasted about a month, right? And then, and then she was fine. Uh, but to me, that, that gave me a stark picture of, am I that desperate for the presence of my father? Um, am I that longing for, okay, Lord, all these things in life don't make sense. And I, I, I know I don't have to be afraid of them. There's really nothing to be afraid of, but I feel, I feel fear nonetheless. There's no reason for me to be restless, but I can't rest nonetheless. And in those moments, am I that desperate and that longing for the presence of my Father? Um, and so in this psalm, he says, you know, my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for you, longs for you, craves you, my Father. So our souls long for God. And when the meditation of our thoughts becomes more and more about the things of this world, rather than the presence of, the, of our Father, fear and anxiety are sure to follow. One more psalm, and then we will wrap up. Psalm 55, 1 through 8. hope you guys are seeing that the Psalms are a treasure trove of granting words where we sometimes don't know the words. Um, psalm 55, it says, uh, this is a Psalm of David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and do not hide yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and hear me. I am restless in, in, in my complaint and moan noisily. Because of the voice of the enemy, and again, if you say because of anxiety, our enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, because our spiritual enemy is seeking to oppress us, for they bring down trouble upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is severely pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. So I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. 
And so he says, in particular, uh, verse 5, I found to be so vivid. You know, he says, fearfulness and trembling have, over, have come upon me, and horror has overwhelmed me. And a lot of times when I talk to someone, to the people who struggle with anxiety, they will say, I just feel overwhelmed with fear. I don't know why. And then if I ask them, well, what are you afraid of? Not in like a, a patronizing way, but, but sincerely looking, okay, so let, let, let's figure this out. What is it that you're, you feel overwhelmed by fear of? And they will most times not be able to tell me because they don't know themselves because sometimes there isn't anything to be, it's just anxiety taking, it's just a lie of the enemy coming in, taking a stronghold in, in, in our hearts and minds and making us believe a lie. And so David here says, horror has overwhelmed me. And he says, I wish I could just become like a bird and fly away. Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away. And then I'd be at rest. I'd rather just run away from my problems. And then maybe they'd all go away. And we know that's not how, how it works. Um, and then verses 12 through 14, at least in context for David, provide an even more troubling picture of what he's going through. Because for him, the enemy was a very tangible one. He didn't have to imagine that it's a spiritual or emotional attack. For him, it was a very real, personal, physical attack. He says, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. So for David... A very profound betrayal has taken place. Uh, someone close to him, someone that he worshipped with, someone he considered a companion and an equal has betrayed him. And this is where it has left him. And so again, sometimes our anxiety, whether we realize it or not, and, and sometimes, sometimes there is a source and we just, we're blinded to it. Sometimes our anxiety springs forth from trauma springs forth from someone who should have been caring for us, someone who should have been there for us, instead of abandoning us and betraying us. Ultimately, um, David reveals in verses 16 and in verse 22 that his only recourse is to trust in God and let God handle his enemies. Verse 16 says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. And then in verse 22, he says, cast, and he's, he's you know, telling the listener or the reader, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. In spite of how it seems, in spite of how it feels in that moment, the truth is God will never allow the righteous to be moved. And if you're in Christ, then Christ has imparted his righteousness to you and you cannot be moved as long as you remain in Jesus. As we wrap up, I just want to, I want to, um, I want to remind everyone of just some, some basic points. You know, while, and, and again, while the exact struggle, so, so you could take these points and I think apply it to whatever you're struggling with. Um, um, and the underlying truths of the conflict will re remain the same. So Number one, anxiety is fueled by lies and by the father of lies, okay? Anxiety is a lie. Our primary defense is meditating on truth and allowing God to remind us of what we know rather than what we feel. That's, 
that's a lot harder than it sounds on paper, um, a lot harder than it looks on the screen, and I acknowledge that. So if you read that and you're like, well, it's not that easy, I agree, it's not that easy, okay? Um, warfare is not easy. Uh, spiritual discipline is not easy. Um, I don't say that, again, to diminish it, but to, again, encourage you, just because it's not easy doesn't mean that God hasn't called us to it anyway. Um, Number two, God's word reminds us that the longing of our souls is for the presence of God, and trying to satisfy that longing with anything else is sure to create anxiety. If you're feeling anxiety well up in you, focus your longing on the presence of the Lord. Get away, get by yourself, be like Jesus, and don't get up from prayer until you can rightly and fully embrace, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, and do so in peace. Number three, we have no strength to uproot the lies of anxiety on our own, but are completely dependent on our loving Father to dig them up and cast them out and restore us to peace and rest. If you try to do it by yourself, if you try to do it in your own strength, your own willpower, I'm going to beat this thing, okay, then get ready for a lifetime of defeat. Um, Apart from the Father, uh, this is a hopeless battle. But with the Father, the victory is already won We just need to believe the truth rather than the lie. So as we either experience anxiety ourselves or seek to help those around us who are going through it, um, again, it can be helpful to acknowledge um, primarily in your prayers. Acknowledge in your prayers um, uh, what you're feeling. Maybe Maybe you do know where your anxiety stems from, and you would say, Lord, I'm feeling this way because of this. Because there's something stressful in my life, there's an unknown in the future, there's a trauma or hurt in the past. Because of that, Father, I'm filled with anxiety. Just let your feelings be made known to him. And if you don't know where your anxiety stems from, if it's just this chronic sense of panic and hopelessness, let him know that too. He's big enough to handle that. Lord, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I know what your word says, but, but I, I'm, I'm struggling to take hold of it. Lord, help me, okay? And that vulnerability, that honesty, that truth, that is what opens the door um, to peace. And again, it's not, sometimes it's still playing in the background of your thoughts. It might, it might not ever stop playing in the background of your thoughts in this lifetime. And maybe that's just God's way of saying, I need to keep you coming back for more. If I give you a full healing, you might not come back to me. This is my way of making sure you're, you're always dependent on me and coming back for more. And one of the many treasures of the Psalms is how they can often put words to our feelings that we wouldn't otherwise know. Sometimes we don't know how to express them or if we have permission to express them. And I love how the Psalms give us those permission to express even our embarrassing feelings to God, even things we know aren't true. It's okay to express those to God. Um, He was loving and gracious enough to receive them then, to preserve them for millennia. He's loving and gracious enough to receive them now. So I hope you have taken some comfort in knowing that you're not alone. Whatever your struggle is, whether it's anxiety or something else, and I hope that you will. We only did four psalms. There's over 100. Um, I, I encourage you, I challenge you to meditate Seek out the Lord and the Psalms. Meditate on them day and night, as it says. Um, and the Lord uh, will bring perspective and comfort. Have these, these words ready on the forefront of your hearts and your thoughts 
so that as soon as anxiety attacks, as soon as you feel it well up, your defenses are ready. Your, 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 your clinging to, to truth is ready. Um, and above all, know that your Father loves you. If, if Pastor Victor had stopped this whole series with that first sermon, it would have been enough. Your Father loves you so much. Um, he knows your struggle. He knows our frame. He knows we're just dust. Um, and he loves us. He doesn't hold our struggle against us. Um, and if we cry out to him as a child reaches out for her parents and we're honest about our feelings, um, he will be there for us. So again, I know there's so much more we could have covered. I must have edited down my manuscript like five times just like this morning alone. But there's so much more. It's impossible to cover all of it. And so, um, but, but the Lord has fullness of truth and healing for us uh, when we seek him. So let's pray. And after prayer, if you would like to come up and talk more about it than myself, the pastors, the elders, um, we are, uh, we, we'll be here for that. So let's pray. Lord, I want to I say, first of all, thank you that, um, that, that we, we have these words preserved, that, that men and women of, um, of faith and of truth um, have expressed doubt and frustration and difficult questions and anxiety to you, and you were not made upset by it. You were not angered by it. You were not offended by it. Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you also that, that even though he didn't have to, Jesus went through this life and he suffered everything that we suffer. He experienced every kind of temptation that we experience just so he could know us better, just so he could relate to his people. Lord, thank you for that example. Thank you for that reminder. I pray that that would be life and truth and power to us as we walk in Christ. Father, again, I pray that in every corner of our hearts, in every space that occupies our minds and our souls, Lord, that you would continue the work of demolishing the strongholds of the enemy, of breaking down the lies that are flung at us daily, of filling our hearts with truth, filling our hearts with your word, um, filling us with the spirit, Father, your spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind, so that you would receive ultimate glory in all that happens in our lives and for your kingdom. Father, again, we are grateful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.